Welcome to the July 28, 2006 edition of the Relevant Podcast, otherwise known as Friday the 28th. Ooh. <laughs> I think we're just going to try and start a new um, ominous day uh, each month, Friday yes. the 28th. Ooh. It's crazy. Something does sound ominous about it. Yeah. <laughs> what, can, what can be the superstition, though? Is we it we just, just have to make a horror movie. In which Kevin Bacon is killed by some guy in some kind of different sports mask. The Relevant Podcast is the audio companion to Relevant Magazine in RelevantMagazine.com. Ooh. Ooh. And <laughs> I'm Cameron Strang, and here with me is the editorial team, editorial director Kara Davis. Hi. Uh, managing editor Adam Smith. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Aww. And Jesse Carey. Hey there, friends. <laughs> the podcast today actually features an interview with author David Brog. He has a book out called Standing with Israel, and we are talking to him about the conflict in the Middle East and uh, his take on it. He's actually a Jewish author and is involved politically. He was classmates at Harvard Law with Barack Obama and Ken Melman. Interesting. That was a good class. So that'll be coming up later in the podcast. Stay tuned. Releasing in theaters today, we have the family-friendly The Ant Bully, uh, starring Paul Giamatti and a bunch of pixels. John Tucker Must Die. It's, yes. it's the high school girl yeah. one. Uh, Scoop by Woody Allen. Scarlett Johansson and... Uh, Isn't that it? the one where... Yeah, where... Hugh Jackman. She's dating a guy who's a killer and he's trying to warn her or something. No, uh, she plays a reporter that goes date, starts dating Hugh Jackman because they believe he's a murderer. Actually, I do believe Hugh Jackman is a murderer. In real life? Mm-hmm. In real life, yeah. Why, why is that? In addition to a Broadway singer? that rumor? No. Oh. <laughs> oh, Hugh Jackman. He seems like the nicest guy in the world, but that's they why always you never suspect him. That's right. It's always a person you don't suspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, one I'm really looking forward to: Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With Steve Carell and Greg Kinnear and others. This does look really funny. It looks yeah. really good. And last and least, Miami Vice, <laughs> starring Colin Farrell, Jamie Fox. Nice. Although I got to say, when I first heard the concept, I was really. Not great, you know, (laughs) but it's by the dude who did Heat and yeah, um, yeah. I love Michael Mann, but I cannot stand Colin Farrell. (laughs) But (laughs) actually, that's why my wife won't see it was because Colin Farrell's in it. Well, there's nothing better. I think we can all agree than pastel shirts and uh, (laughs) a thumping Phil Collins soundtrack. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. excuse me. (sighs) This this segment is brought to you by Diet Pepsi. (laughs) Uh, Cool, crisp, refreshing Diet Pepsi. Actually, what we're trying to do is we're actually talking about getting little sponsors in the podcast mm-hmm. stuff to help pay for it. So I was throwing a gratis one to Diet Pepsi oh, right yeah. there to show them how popular and and um, powerful it could yeah, be. I'm sure they and will send a check. For yeah, and we can <laughs> just act like we're great. enjoying different items here in the studio. Like, mmm, that's a smooth, refreshing stick of butter. Thank you, Lando Lakes. <laughs> we are for sale. Actually, mm-hmm. if um, if anybody wants to send in cases of product. We will talk about it favorably on the air. <laughs> All right, coming out in stores, music-wise, on Tuesday. Only a few here. <laughs> Audio Adrenaline with Adios. Yeah! <laughs> Praise the Lord. No, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesse, if, you know, we weren't able to get an interview with um, Mark Stewart from Audio Adrenaline, so why don't we just go ahead and recreate one right now? Pick up my greatest hits album! Yeah! <laughs> uh, so, Mark... You're at the end of a uh, a brilliant career. What would you like to say to your fans through the ages? I got a big house. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I love that the the audio adrenaline greatest hits album is called Adios. It's or I think it's Adios. <laughs> <laughs> All apologies for Spanish listening. I'm, I'm no Spanish teacher. Like audio adrenaline. Some, Audio. I'm not claiming that I oh, I didn't even get that. But. Audio adrenaline, adios. I'm uh, sorry. I'm slow. It's just I just noticed Hi, the, my name's the alliteration. 
<laughs> so I have a question. What's your favorite beverage? Diet Pepsi! Yeah! <laughs> Mark, Mark do you mind if I ask you, um, you know, if you could tell listeners one thing that maybe if they were to come to your house, they might enjoy out in the backyard. <laughs> Football! Yeah! <laughs> Wasn't there something about Diet Coke, though, in the podcast a while back? I need another refill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can I get a refill? <laughs> Oh, that was, uh, that was a good one. That was a good pull there, Kerry. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, also, FM Static. I love cleverly titled band names. FM Static, that's good. Mm-hmm. Hmm. With Critically Ashamed. I suppose to Critically Acclaimed. A little play mm-hmm. on words there. Mm-hmm. Like, adios. <laughs> Except I actually got it's, this one. Yeah, oh. It's not quite as clever a play on words as <laughs> adios. <laughs> adios only works if you pronounce it correctly. So... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and th- third and lastly, we have Showbread, Age of Reptiles. Actually, all three uh, ones of note today are, are from Christian labels. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for entertainment releases. Up next, an interview with author and speaker David Brog. You're listening to Gnarls Barkley. The song is Smiley Faces. It's the new video. We are like one of very few people playing it right now. It, it is very funny, too. Yeah, Dennis Hopper's in it. Yeah, it's a, so this whole video is a documentary about how Gnarls Barkley, they're trying to decipher who Gnarls Barkley is, and they go back through the history of rock and roll and realize that Gnarls Barkley has been part of every major... <laughs> <laughs> part of the history of rock and roll. It, it is very funny because and it's that, done it's done so serious. It's almost uh, you know Christopher Guest, wow. you know. Oh, it's classic. It's a great video. So that's playing right now at Relevant TV. You need to check it out. And also the what you heard at the beginning of the podcast was Angels and Airwaves. The song is Do It For Me Now. And that is the featured video this week over at relevant.tv. Tune in. On the phone with us today is David Brog, author of Standing with Israel, Why Christians Support the Jewish State. Um, David uh, recently was a chief of staff for, for Pennsylvanian Senator Arlen Specter. He's been involved in the Senate for about seven years. Before that, he was an executive at AOL, and he's also practiced corporate law in Tel Aviv and Philadelphia. Welcome, David. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, first of all, we just um, the reason why we had you on the podcast today was just to talk about uh, the recent events in Israel and Lebanon. Obviously, we, we've all seen the news reports and everything, but can you give us a little context of the conflict? Well, uh, sure. Uh, you know, it's in 2000, um, Israel withdrew its, its last troops from southern Lebanon and withdrew to, to the Israel side of the border. And uh, recently, last August, uh, Israel withdrew its troops and settlers from the Gaza Strip uh, and, and, and moved everyone to the Israel side of that border. And uh, you know, what we've seen uh, this past month is attacks uh, from both Hezbollah in Lebanon and Hamas in Gaza. Uh, where they send missiles across the border into Israel, uh, and then they have sent their, 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 their forces, their terrorists, across the border to kill and kidnap Israeli soldiers. And so what we see, I believe, is very much in line uh, with what we saw here in America on 9-11. Terrorists reaching out and attacking and forcing, uh, in the case of 9-11, the United States, uh, and in the case of last month, Israel, uh, to go and to, to, to counterattack and go into the... the, the the countries that serve as bases for these terrorist groups, and to fight back and to strike the terrorists where they organize and where they live to prevent attacks in the future. I, I, I see very strong parallels between what Israel is forced to do now uh, and what America was forced to do after 9-11 in Afghanistan and Iraq. Well, the, I, I have a question of kind of why. Why, why, is, um, why is Israel being attacked? Why is Israel having to pull back over the last few years? And, and it's almost like that's not enough. People are still coming after Israel. Well, it's, it's a very important question because there are those of us who thought that Israel's opponents were reasonable people. And if you give them what they are asking for and you withdraw from territories as they have demanded, um, that they might be happy and they might live in peace. 
Um, what we're seeing, though, is that Israel's enemies, uh, is these terrorist groups, Hezbollah and Hamas, uh, and Iran, which, which, which backs both Hezbollah and Hamas, um, are not reasonable. And Al-Qaeda, who attacked us on 9-11, is not reasonable. They don't want something from Israel or the United States. They simply want the destruction of Israel and the United States. And when confronted with an enemy like that, uh, there, there's nothing you can do to appease them or reason with them. Uh, you're forced to, to fight back and to, and to, and to strike a, at them as best you can. Uh, and I think these recent attacks from Lebanon and Gaza uh, after Israel had withdrawn just, just demonstrates very clearly the point that uh, uh, there's no a way of, of, of appeasing uh, these terrorists. They want nothing less than the destruction of Israel. And, and this particular conflict right now was was sparked because of the kidnapping of two Israeli soldiers, correct? Well, the, the, the conflict in the north was sparked when Hezbollah terrorists crossed the border into northern Israel, killed three Israeli soldiers, and kidnapped two. Um, and then they've since rained thousands of missiles upon northern Israel. A third of Israelis are sleeping in bomb shelters because they're within range of uh, Hezbollah missiles. Uh, the conflict in the south, in Gaza, was started when uh, from Gaza, Hamas fired hundreds of rockets into southern Israel, and then they sent their terrorists across the border uh, and, and killed uh, two Israeli soldiers and kidnapped one. It's a combination of, of these raids and the, the missiles they're firing. It has made it clear to Israel they have no choice but to strike back and strike back hard. In the north, though, it's not, they're not fighting Lebanon, correct? Correct. They're fighting Hezbollah, which is a Shiite terrorist group funded and supplied by Iran. It's really an Iranian proxy. So the people and citizens of Lebanon um, that are being killed, uh, that's an unfortunate byproduct of the fact that they've allowed terrorists to take up camp in their country? Yes, that's exactly right. And, and it shows you what terrorists are all about. Um, you know, Israel builds its military bases away from civilians. It does not in any way want to endanger civilian populations um, by having a military base near them. The terrorists, uh, Hezbollah in particular, not only hide their troops, but they hide their missiles and their arms in civilian population centers. And they do this for two reasons. Number one, they do it for protection, because they know that Israel, being a civilized society and one that values human life, will not indiscriminately bomb civilian areas. In fact, before Israel bombs civilian areas, it drops leaflets telling innocent civilians to flee and go away and save, and save themselves, because Israel is going to come and do some bombing. Um, unfortunately, while Israel does this to save innocent civilian lives, it has the negative uh, byproduct, the negative effect of giving notice to the terrorists, and the terrorists flee too. So by having their, their bombs and missiles in civilian centers, it, it gives them a measure of protection. But number two, sometimes Israel will have to strike at the missiles and may in the process end up hurting innocent civilians. Hezbollah welcomes that as well, because they not only want to kill Israelis, they like it when, when Arab civilians die as well, because it furthers their cause. And their cause is radicalizing the Middle East, pushing the Middle East away from the path towards peace, and, and pushing them towards the path towards war. So anything that will maximize civilian, maximize civilian casualties on either side of the border is something that the terrorists really embrace. And so Israel's put in a very difficult situation of wanting to take out the terrorists, wanting to take out the missiles before the missiles hit Israeli cities and kill Israeli civilians, and yet wanting to minimize the civilian deaths on the Lebanese side. So what do you do when you know a missile is in, is in an apartment building and you want to take out that missile, what do you do? Uh, and Israel ends up, you know, leafleting and telling people to flee and then bombing, and sometimes, unfortunately, people don't listen or people don't leave, and, and you do have unfortunate civilian casualties. Um, but but I, I very much blame Hezbollah for those deaths because Hezbollah is the one who has put itself in the middle of civilian areas. Well, why why would Lebanon put up with Hezbollah, you know, taking up refuge in their cities? I mean, wh why has, if Lebanon is so is innocent, why hasn't Lebanon, you know, done more to withstand them? Well, I think Israel, uh, I think Lebanon made a deal with the, the devil in a very real sense, rather than take on Hezbollah and rather than ex extend its authority throughout the country, uh, it took the path of least resistance. It let Hezbollah really control the southern part of Lebanon, the part that borders Israel, and just gave them free reign. And I think it's a very sad example of what happens when you make a, a deal with terrorists, when you take the path of least resistance and don't confront terrorists. 
And, uh, and what we've seen is, is the result, and that is these terrorists have hijacked the country. Uh, they brought so many Lebanese civilians into a very dangerous situation. And uh, it's, just a, it's just a very serious mistake. There is no accommodating terrorists, and there is no appeasing terrorists. Uh, they must be confronted. And uh, the Lebanese civilians, unfortunately, are suffering for the, the, the failure of the Lebanese government to confront the terrorists. Hi, David. Uh, Adam here. Uh, just for a little background, you had mentioned earlier also Hamas launching attacks in Gaza. Just to give us some clarity, is there a link between Hezbollah and Hamas? Are these attacks uh, coming from both sides in any way coordinated? You know, there have been reports about the leadership of Hamas and Hezbollah uh, and the leadership of Iran communicating and meeting together. And so there are reports that maybe there is some coordination going on. But I don't know for sure that that's the case. But I could say this. Uh, Hezbollah reads the papers and, and, and watches the news. And uh, after they saw Israel um, bogged down in fighting Hamas in Gaza, they may well have decided on their own that this is a good time for them to start a second front. And so coordinated or not, I'm sure the fact that Israel uh, was in Gaza and fighting in Gaza contributed to the Hezbollah decision that this was a good time to strike at Israel. I, uh, I have a question about how this is going to affect the U.S. Um, you know, we're supposedly in a quote-unquote war on terror, and what you're describing is terrorist activity against a free country, one of our allies. Um, at what point is the U.S. going to get sucked into this? Well, it's hard to say. Um, we are in a war on terror, and it's very apparent that Israel's enemies are the U.S.'s enemies. You know, Hezbollah killed over 200 of our Marines in Lebanon years ago. Hezbollah is sworn, uh, a sworn enemy of the United States. Same with Hamas. Same with Iran. And so we have a situation where Israel is really uh, our front line in the war on terror right now in that part of the world. And Israel is fighting uh, our, our enemies in that part of the world. Um, the U.S. is in Iraq and Afghanistan fighting al-Qaeda and terrorists there. Uh, Israel is fighting Hezbollah and Hamas. And maybe that will be the division of labor. Um, but uh, as the threats increase, as Iran's role increases, it may be more than the, the small uh, and embattled state of Israel can handle. And so I just think the United States needs to watch very closely and very carefully uh, as things develop. And, and, and the U.S. needs to recognize all along that uh, that these uh, these enemies are, are really uh, America's enemies as well, and used to think about how best to strike at these enemies. So, but this massive offensive was literally sparked by the killing and kidnapping of uh, essentially five soldiers. Well, you know, Israel has been watching now for years, and they've known all along that Iran is sending um, lots of long-range missiles to Hezbollah. And they've watched as Hezbollah has dug in and entrenched itself in northern Lebanon. And there have been those saying all along, we need to do something about this. A group like Hezbollah does not acquire missiles and does not build, uh, does not build fortifications to defend themselves. They're going to use these missiles against Israel. That is what terrorist groups do. So there have been voices all along saying that it is a, it is a grave danger to Israel to have a group like Hezbollah so well armed. The incident where Hezbollah crossed the border and killed three soldiers and kidnapped two was, was the, in, in a sense, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. That made it clear to everyone that Hezbollah needed to be dealt with. And that was only the beginning. So, yes, that incident sparked the current violence. But the over 1,000 missiles that have been fired into Israeli cities since then um, have made it clear to everybody in Israel um, that this is not just about a few soldiers. This is about a very serious and, and, and very dangerous terrorist entity on Israel's border um, that, that is going to make life miserable for Israelis unless they're dealt with. Uh, obviously, the situation is really complicated. Um, but as far as long-term solutions, you know, we want to avoid qu a quick fix. What, what do you think the, the long-term solution to a conflict like this w would entail? Well, I'm afraid that the long-term solution uh, means dealing with the source of the problem, and that's Iran. Uh, Iran is the group that funds Hezbollah. It's the group that arms Hezbollah. And uh, Iran is the country that's threatened to wipe Israel off the map and, and, and has said that we should imagine a world without America. Hmm. And that is uh, rapidly acquiring the nuclear technology with which to make good on its threats. Uh, we need to deal with Iran. And uh, I don't think we've exhausted the diplomatic channels yet. I think we need to pursue them and pursue them aggressively. 
And I think we need to contemplate and, and, and consider uh, what we do if the diplomatic channels don't work. Hmm. So, basically, it would be shifting our military focus from Iraq to Iran. Well, it's, it's something that's very difficult to contemplate right now. We're having a hard, a hard time of it in Iraq. Uh, a lot of people feel we're overextended. But um, the fact is that Iran is a threat, and uh, I think if we learned one lesson from history, it's that wishing the threat was not there um, and ignoring the threat um, does not help. It only makes things worse. So I think we need to be cognizant of the threat from Iran, and we need to be seriously thinking about what we do about it. It's, it's so difficult, the idea of a military preemptive strike, you know, doesn't sit well. There's going to be a lot of protests, very low public support for that. But then on the flip side, if we don't go and deal with Iran, which seems to be the root of these weeds, um, you know, like you said, if we just allow them, or we sit idly by, allow them to arm and, and do what they want to do, uh, it could you know, what if an A-bomb drops on New York, you know? And then, you know, the public is going to go, why didn't we do anything about Iran? You know, so it's like... That, that's right. And, and, and people, it's, it's very clear the cost of taking action. As we hear about all the deaths uh, of, our, of our soldiers in Iraq, it's very clear the very high price uh, we pay for taking action. But what is not clear to people is the very, very high price of inaction. And so if we were to do something in Iran, there would be protests uh, and, and, and the horrible sight of grieving parents uh, you know, who've lost their sons in war. But what we can't know is, is the horrible price that inaction might, might cause us to pay and, and how many millions could die uh, through our inaction. And so we just need to keep that in, in, in our minds at all time. Um, action is not the only course that leads you to pay a price. I heard this likened to the situation of Hitler in the 30s, where the global community just kind of looked the other way, and look what happened. Well, I, I think that's a very instructive example. Um, and, you know, people can overuse the analogy, but I think it's an appropriate analogy. Uh, because I think what we have on our hands is really a modern-day Hitler, someone who uh, has threatened to wipe out uh, Israel. And, and there are six million Jews living in Israel, the same number of Jews that Hitler killed. Uh, he's rapidly acquiring the technology with which to make good on that threat. And, um, and ignoring him or belittling him or, or, or somehow saying that he doesn't mean what he says um, is a dangerous path to take. And, and when we took that path in the 1930s, um, the result was uh, a reckoning later that cost many, many more lives than confronting the evil sooner would have cost. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this is David Brog. He's author of Standing with Israel, which is in bookstores nationwide now. It's been a pleasure uh, to be with you, and I think it's very important what you're doing. Uh, we need young people uh, to get in the game and to understand the stakes and the importance of what's going on in the world today and, and to be involved uh, in what's going on in the world today. So what you do is, as far as providing information to them uh, is very, very important. Well, thanks. 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 That was a real pleasure talking to you. Okay, right. you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. You're listening to Red. The song is Breathe Into Me, and it's currently playing right now over at Relevant TV. Um, we're switching up the format a little bit this week, and now we're bringing you Slices. So here now with Slices is Kara Davis. There was a ridiculous story, but interesting nonetheless, story on Canada.com about how um, Hayden Christensen, Anakin Skywalker, he was driving back to um, Canada, I guess, which is where he's from, in his Ferrari, and it broke down actually in New York. And so he called a tow truck, and the tow truck owner was Christian, and he talked to him about the Lord, I guess, on the way to Canada. But uh, he said he that... He towed him all the way to Canada? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christensen agreed to pay him $75 for the hookup fee and then $3.95 a mile to take the car to Toronto. And while on on the way, he played uh, the the tow truck driver played um, cassettes by motivational speaker Zig Ziglar, <laughs> and he talked to him about his relationship with the Lord, because the the tow truck driver was Christian, and any other captive audience. <laughs> yeah, and Christensen <laughs> told him that he believed that people came from monkeys, 
So um, this Which story, is just the theory of evolution, correct? Right. But this is what? being told from the viewpoint of the tow truck gotcha. driver. So I just thought that that was so funny because yeah. nothing like happened. Well, we all remember many of the great boy bands from the past decade. Fondly. <laughs> we have fond memories of, of times gone by. Um, well, one of the biggest, probably the biggest, NSYNC, um, one of the members, the one that wanted to go to the space, uh, you may remember, remember Lance Bass, uh, has come out of the closet. Wow. Mm. He said that he Shocking. is in a committed relationship with one of the former male uh, contestants on the reality show The Amazing Race. I, I, I need to recreate my genuine reaction when you told me this 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? See, what? No, seriously, like that I'm, reaction surprises me. I'm shocked. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I'm just, I'm shocked. I'm surprised. I really am. I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I just think of him as being a female idol, you know? Yeah. Not that he's a female. What? But he's <laughs> idolized by females. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <sighs> There's no phrase for what I was trying to say. <laughs> anyway, I just always see them as like, you know, the women loving them and and I'm just shocked. I'm gonna ri- I'm gonna go ahead and just rise above the you know, any kind of fodder here about, <laughs> about one of the members of NSYNC actually being gay. Um He's I, he's in a he's in the relationship with the guy's name is uh Ry- Riken Limkel. He's the winner of season four of Amazing Race. Oh, he won? So I wonder yeah. why they're coming out with this information now. I mean, like, what's I he know promoting? Why. Because What's he promoting? Yeah. He's he's developing a sitcom pilot inspired oh. by the screwball comedy The Odd Couple in which his character will be gay. It's him and Joey Fatone. Okay, well, speaking, no speaking of Joey Fatone, there's a morning show. It, it, it's Fatone pro- being spelled fat, fat one. Fat one. Yeah. And he <laughs> yes, <the fat> was. <laughs> okay. Speaking Just of the fat easy one. Easy to remember. Okay, there's a morning, a syndicated morning show that's that's broadcast out of Orlando, but it's in like 140 markets across the country. It's called the Daily Buzz, and th- this week they had Joey Fatone as a guest host. Because he, he lives in Orlando. Yeah, he lives in Orlando. It's it's broadcast at Lake Mary, just down the street, and it was like watching a train wreck. Oh, he no. was w- while reading the teleprompter. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a news story that I, I have. So now in Jesse's front of me. critiquing other <laughs> and, and this, <laughs> anchor yeah. type people. Okay, well you're, he's in the biz now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I don't I don't even have a teleprompter. And if you've watched <laughs> video sites today, you'll know that I'm no expert. But it didn't take an expert oh, to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he was reading it. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read uh, a little bit of a news story. Irish archae archaeologist <laughs> Tuesday Harold heralded the discovery of an ancient. Book of Psalms by construction worker who he was a, he could not read the teleprompter. At one point they did like you know how they have the wide, medium, and tight shots of the people at the news desk. They did the big one out, and it was like his turn for the story. And he's like, "All right, I'll start reading when I figure out what camera we're on here." And he's like turning oh, around wow. looking for the looking for like the the tally light on the camera. Yeah. And the other anchors are patting him on the shoulder, pointing it to it. I'm telling you, it was it was comedy. It was comedy gold. I, but it had to be on purpose then, if you're talking about it now. Because if he did it flawlessly, yeah, he would talk else about it. How Daily Buzz and get talked about, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just telling it, it, you. took it was, the bait, Jesse. It was embarrassing. It's why we have you on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, why am I so, so mean to that? Jesse just stormed out of the studio. For those of you listening, Coffee, going, going back to Lance Bass, he said, "Quote: The thing is, I'm not ashamed. That's the one thing I want to say. I don't think it's wrong. I'm not devastated going through this. I'm more liberated and happy than I've been my whole life. I'm just happy. That's what Lance Bass. Oh, so that's what he means by gay. He's happy. <laughs> he's very happy. He's expanding his vocabulary and he's going back to old English. <laughs> he's spelling s's like f's now." <laughs> A construction worker in Ireland was uh, running a backhoe, and he uncovered a 20-page book that experts are saying are anywhere between 800 and 1,000 years old, and it is uh, a book on the Psalms. Um, kind of curiously, well... Is it a book of Psalms or a book well, on the Psalms? It, it has Psalms, but it also has commentary, apparently, oh. on the Psalms of the Bible. Um it said that the book was found open to a page describing, in Latin script, Psalm 83. Uh, and Psalm 83 is where God hears complaints about other nations' attempts to wipe out the nation of Israel. That's just silly to me. I feel like that was... That's like I, seeing the Virgin Mary in your toast. 
Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also have one here about a book. That's that, what happens every July, uh, Friday the 28th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Virgin Mary appears in toast. It's a, it's a weird day, <laughs> Friday the 28th. Um, but there, there's also there's a, um, a former ABC television executive who is a Christian who is putting out a book that is called um, it's called When God Winks at You, How God Speaks Directly to You Through the Power of Coincidence. And he talks about how he thinks coincidence are That ties speaking. right into your last Exactly. Slice. And coincidentally, I found this right after I found that. Oh, so, hello. God winked God's at you. Speaking. Yeah. Wow. And I also had a very <laughs> interesting piece of toast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> You're up. Moving on. <laughs> Um, <laughs> smooth that, that's a pro segue right there <laughs> I uh, I like for purposes of segues to leave a lot of dead air until it gets <laughs> insanely awkward and then in a halting almost weeping voice come out and say something so um, Steely Dan you guys remember the band Steely Dan heck yeah yeah they soft rock Steely Dan it. was like a experimental studio 70s rock band mm-hmm. they and Michael did a McDonald lot was a member of, at one point no mm-hmm. was he really yeah in fact they're touring with him now um, they're demanding an apology from Owen Wilson of all people uh, evidently they uh, believe that You Me and Dupree the new Owen Wilson movie was ripped off of one of their tunes Cousin Dupree about a, a slacker house guest. Okay, <laughs> the song is about an elderly man's libidinous observations about his young grown-up cousin. It's it's the guy co- is gone, grows up, comes back, and the cousin who was a kid when he left is now an adult, and he starts to have romantic feelings for his cousin. Wow, so really it has absolutely nothing, nothing to, to do, do with the movie. Well... Great move there, Steely Dan. I know, right? It's um, just because the same, they use the same word. I, yeah. lo- I love that they're threatening him with mafia techniques, Yeah, too. and I love the way they talk as though they're still in 1967. Like, <laughs> Actually, are. in the open letter, they use the phrase, instant karma is a fact, Jack. Like, <laughs> wow, I'm sure Owen Wilson is incredibly intimidated by a line like that. <laughs> instant know, karma is a fact, yeah, Jack. Coming from a bunch of 60-year-old musicians. Yeah. And who play light jazz. <laughs> so, um, well, again, how else are we going to be talking about Steely, Steely Dan? Dan yeah. You know, they saw an opportunity, they seized it. I got mad respect for that. Yeah, it's like, you know what we'll do? We'll threaten one of a, Holly, a Hollywood A-lister with physical violence. <laughs> That'll get us in the news. For absolutely That's, no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Which, That's by the way, classic. did anyone see you, me and Dupree? No. Other than me? You did? Yeah. Was it good? <laughs> Stupid. I, I liked it. I'm telling you, don't knock it till you've seen it. It had a good message. What? Don't crash on your friend's couch. Take take responsibility for your life. Hey, I'm just saying, don't, don't steal I'm, songs from '70s <laughs> soft jazz bands. Bingo, or you might end up with unspeakable things happening yeah. to you at the hands of a man named Steely Dan. <laughs> a man, na- dude, that's a movie right there. A, a man, man named man Steely, Dan. Steely Dan. Now that one, they have, a, they would have a legitimate beef with. What, right? if, if there was a movie called A Man Named Steely Dan, mm-hmm. well then. Yeah, post, there you go. post away on your my website there, is, Steely. My question is, why do they address it to Luke Wilson? <laughs> you, you need, a, you need some old and good confused. cop, bad cop. You need somebody to be on your side. Yeah. And they figure that a brother could influence Owen. Why not Andrew? <laughs> the other Wilson. He's, he's such a key Wilson brother. He's in all like the movies. Like referencing the Baldwins. It's like, Daniel. You have to differentiate that it's the good Baldwin brother versus. <laughs> well, what you, I think he just said an oxymoron. <laughs> just kidding, Steve. He's gonna be ticked. He's gonna talk about threat. He would throw down. Violence. Steve Baldwin's got that crazy look in his eye. Like he would throw down at a moment's notice. Oh, dude! Not even think twice about it. Yeah. Did you, you see? Know. Did you see the old um um the Celebrity Fit Club on yes. VH1 with Willie Ames, who's Bible man? He talks all about his Christian. Christianity and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> he talks all about his Christianity like nonstop throughout the show. And then like Aww. he kind of fell off the wagon a little bit. And Aww. so they go to his house oh and he answers God. the door shirtless with these huge tattoos. I swear he looks like he'd been punched in the eyes, drunk out of his mind. He looked, right? And they they were like coming in to like make him do some physical training because he was blowing off his exercises. And he gets so mad, he's shaking and starts punching the door. Wow. Willie Ames. My, my, my Bible part. man? 
Bible man. My favorite part is that one, he even qualifies for a show with the word celebrity in the title. <laughs> well, I just saw like a recap leading up to the new season. They were recapping last season and kind of talking to everybody now and where they are and if, have they kept the weight off. And he like he sat there and talked like after that scene, you know, all the rumors went around that he was on drugs and he had <laughs> renounced his Christianity and he was gay. And, and so he took the Every opportunity to tell everybody that he still has a strong faith in his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Aww. and he was not on drugs. He just has an anger problem. And he likes corn gay. dogs. Come on. <laughs> Leave the guy alone. Well, Gary Busey was on the show too. Was it was Gary Busey, was it he like in the Christian circle for yes. a while, but no, then he's back out? <laughs> no, Gary Busey on the show was, was nuts like he always is, but he ironically was... The voice of reason. He, he was the motivator. He was, was talking weird. Willie Ames it down was, <laughs> to was, everybody. You don't want to do this, Willie Ames. It was weird because... Put that donut down. <laughs> it was weird because you were rooting for Gary Busey the whole time. Like, he was wacko. It's don't get me wrong, you're used but to he was a lovable wacko. He was crazy. He had that yeah. look in his eye, like kind of like a squirrel. Yeah. Or like, a, a squirrel may be still for a second, but you know he's like about to just like... Do something crazy. Yeah, but yeah, you watch it, yeah, it might from a distance he looks like he's standing still, but if you look up close, he is moving very, very quickly. Like <laughs> he's moving so like, fast. What are you doing, Gary? Yeah. It's like a time lapse photography. You can leave it open and he moves all around the room. He actually he actually did five laps around you. <laughs> Punching Willie Ames in the head the whole time. <laughs> That's why his eyes are black. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's why he looked like he was on drugs. Gary Busey was invisibly he was beating him. In that scene the whole time, he was running. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I wonder if someone can do an illustration of that for us. Yeah, can of we an see invisible that on Gary Busey? <laughs> Willie Ames? A shirtless Willie Ames? <laughs> if someone sends that in on Microsoft Paint, you'll, the good things will happen to you. You'll win 3D glasses. All right, that'll do it for Slices. Up next, your feedback. Listening to Yeah Yeah Yes. The song is called Turn Into. So now feedback. Your the question we posed to you last week was out of all the directorial debut movies out there, what are your favorites? Sherry Owens wrote in and said, Here's the thing. You mentioned that Duel was Spielberg's film debut, but that's not true. A quick trip to IMDB will tell you that. Jesse. Okay. I've gotten a couple that said congratulations on knowing an obscure movie like Duel, which was Spielberg's first. So I don't know. You maybe want to be THX eleven thirty eight or something like that. See, I got I just got one that said THX was George Lucas's first movie, but I've seen a couple oh, that said right. American Graffiti was George Lucas's first. But this, uh, but Sherry says, however, I would totally pick Duel as a top film. Did she say she what also, the his debut movie was? No. Yeah, so, so she's not backing up her argument. Duel with- Duel is actually a made for TV movie that got release in theaters after such a hit on TV. Hmm. She also picked The Virgin Suicides by Sofia Coppola and Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino. I am at imdb.com. The oldest dated directorial movie that he has is in 1959, the movie called The Last Gun. Is it a full-length feature film? Or is that a TV show or something? Duel is listed as 1971 as a TV movie. But like I said, it was on TV and then it got released in the theaters. Okay, but that was still 1971. He has an entire decade in the 1960s. Um, in IMDb, when it's on TV, it says TV next to it. So in 1969, he has something called Night Gallery that was on TV. 1968, he has Amblin. He has Slipstream in 1967, Firelight in 1964, Fighter Squad in 1961, Escape to Nowhere in 1961, and The Last Gun in 1959. So I wonder if Duel was just the first one that anybody paid attention to. Yeah, because after Duel in 1971, all of a sudden you start 
there are names that you know, like I've like seen the Sugar Land Express, the Jaws, <clears throat> Close Encounters of the Third Kind, 1941, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Twilight Zone, Indiana I, Jones. I've seen the DVD before with a sticker on it that said Spielberg's first movie. The movies, The Last Gun, Escape to Nowhere, and The Fighter Squad were all shorts. Mm. However, the movie in 1964, Firelight, was a full-length feature in, in 1964, Firelight. Um, he was, it was directed by and written by Steven Spielberg. It's a sci-fi thriller, menacing UFOs attack citizens of a town. Uh, there's a cast listing. It's 140 minutes long. Hmm. Steven Spielberg premiered this movie at Phoenix Little Theater, now Phoenix Theater, in Phoenix, Arizona at the age of 16. Wow. Wow. So this is obviously indie. So maybe Duel was his first, um, non-TV studio film. Yeah. Well, I have uh, I've I've got a lot for uh, in my Shyamalan, which everyone says it's the Sixth Sense, but I know that he was did a movie before that, but the first major movie, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Quinn directorial debuts, man, doesn't count. Debuts. Uh, well, I'm just telling you what the email says. I don't think his directorial <laughs> debut is the Sixth Sense, but that's what everyone's saying. I'll tell you what it is. Um, Quentin Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs, The Mariachi by Robert Rodriguez. Mm. Seen a lot of that. M. Night had two movies prior to The Sixth Sense. Praying with Anger in 1992 and Wide Awake in 1998. Brian Hellum says John Favreau's debut, Swingers. Yeah, I'd say Swingers. I would say... Um, how about, how about uh, I saw a bunch of these, Say Anything... Cameron um, Crowe. I would actually say Garden State. I saw a couple of those. I love Garden State. Um, I, I saw one here that I would very much agree with, Bottle Rocket. Yep. Actually, I just watched Bottle Rocket for the, like, the 20th time about two nights ago. It, it never stops up. being funny. It holds up. Um, I have a great one here from Kareem Gurgil. Okay, his you top, win just for the name. Uh, he says, my top three first films by a director are as follows. Number one, A Thief in the Night, directed by Donald W. Thompson. Is that his debut? I should check it on IMDb. Yeah, let's let's make sure before we get ahead of ourselves. But it is, as Kareem says, a compelling look at end times and tribulation. This it film is, is, is the that. perfect tool for reaching both the unsaved heathen and Christian teenagers who are delving into the dark worlds of rock and roll and hip-hop. Uh, guaranteed to be shown in high schools and Sunday schools well into the 3000s or until Jesus comes back. A, th- a Thief in the Night was, in fact, the directorial debut. Was the it also the, the directorial, <laughs> no. uh, the directorial made... sign-off? No, that was 1972. He made films, um, this is Donald W. Thompson, all the way to 1988. Wow. Wow. Uh, the New Avengers was, was a TV series he was involved in in 1976. But then he did Mannequin, all the whole, oh, all the King's Horses. He did a Mannequin. Distance, well, no, no, not that Mannequin. M A N N I K I N. Oh gosh, I got all excited. A Distant Thunder, aka A Thief in the Night Two. A Distant Thunder. <laughs> um, Image of the Beast in 1980, aka Home a Thief Safe in, the Night 3. in 1981. The Prodigal Planet, which is aka A Thief in the Night Four, a Prodigal Planet. And Life Flight, A Stranger in My Forest, and Blood on the Mountain. I think he has a theme throughout all yeah. of his filmmaking. Well, I Apostle. think it's curious. He stopped making movies in 88. Isn't that 88 reasons, reasons why? It, yeah. The Lord was going to come back in 88. And, so. and he just took Donald W. Thompson when he came. So. <laughs> <laughs> he was the only one raptured. It's it. like, you, you got it right with that movie. That's Let's awesome. go. I, I have an interesting email from Caleb Taylor. Um and basically, he kind of was going through the same... He was having the same problems we did. He he would think of a movie that was a directorial debut, and he would search for it, and sure enough, it wasn't actually a directorial debut. He looked at first at um, uh, Christopher Nolan. He didn't. His first movie wasn't Memento. He did The Following, which is a black and white movie I saw, and Doodlebug. <laughs> He he also was, it, was that animated. Yeah, Christopher Nolan's animated movie. Uh, it was for PBS. He, uh, Brian Singer. Kids PBS. He said Brian Singer's the usual suspect, but not his first movie. Peter Jackson, not The Lord of the Rings. George Lucas, not Star Wars. Quentin Tarantino, not Reservoir Dogs. Orson Welles wasn't Citizen Kane. Francis Ford Coppola wasn't The Godfather. So he searched for hours and hours because most directors have short films like the Spielberg thing that they've actually, they have to their credit, to their name. But he said after searching and searching, he found one that is a movie by a director named David Evans that is the best directorial debut he could find, and it's The Sandlot. Well, that's bad. Well um, done. I, 
I, uh, <laughs> I, I want to go back to Citizen Kane because we got a number of emails saying Citizen Kane, right. but you're right. His first movie was seven years before Citizen Kane. It's called The Hearts of Age. And then he had one called Too Much Johnson um, <laughs> before, before Citizen Kane. So, <laughs> Citizen Kane was in 1941. Um, <laughs> so, if you said Citizen Kane and Orson Welles, then <clears throat> hopefully you feel incredibly ashamed of yourself yeah, right I, now. I think Do I th- a little research, people. I think that, though, to be fair, this is difficult because there's so many different... It's not difficult. It's called imdb.com. Yeah, but here's the thing. Most directorial debuts will never really are seen. They're not yeah. big. They're not the sh- That's why Garden State, I think, is such a clear, mm-hmm. uh, prominent one. And Bottle Rocket. I'd say Bottle Rocket, Garden State, and... Um, but, but here's the thing. We didn't specify because Bottle Rocket was actually a short film before it was a full-length feature. It was actually a 15-minute black Either and white. Either one. There you go. Either but, one. Well, I, but, maybe this should be encouraging to young filmmakers out there that, you know... You got to pay your dues. Well, you know that um, hmm. Napoleon Dynamite was actually not Jared Hess's Hess's first Pal- movie. Palooka. Yeah, it was actually based on a short that um, him and what's I forget the Napoleon's name. John Heater. Yeah, John Heater. Palooka. Yeah. Yeah. You can on certain special editions of the DVD, you can actually watch it, and it's not really that good. I, I don't know why MTV would see that and see promise in it, but they did. So that'll do it for your feedback from last week. A lot of discussion, a lot of debate, a lot of controversy. And you guys didn't do very much research. We're very disappointed. Um, So this week, don't let us down, please. Here's this week's Editorial Question of the Week. Editorial Question of the Week. In honor of Steely Dan's recent heartbreak over Hollywood stealing their song to create a character in a movie. Which they didn't. But if they had. (laughs) We want to know. What what character in a song could be made into a movie? That's good. Ooh, good question. That is that's tough. I'm just trying to. Think I'm going to say Humpty Hump head. and the Humpty Dance. Mm. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see the life of Humpty Hump. Yeah, I'm going to go with Bad Bad Leroy Brown. That's who I'm sticking with. <laughs> I'm going to go with God and every Hillsong United song. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to go with Dido in that um, the worst day of my life song. There you go. I I would like to see. A big screen rendition of Butterfly Kisses. <laughs> I think, and I think the characters in the song, the father, daughter, the dad and the daughter mm-hmm. yeah. I would love it. And two it, hours of eyelash flickering. It, it's, yep. it's, well, you watch her grow up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's and then, true. Yeah, yeah. You and know? then you could have the sequel, Watercolor Ponies. <laughs> so isn't that just Father of the Bride? Sort of, but it's way worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it would Father be Father of the Bride, too. It, yeah. But Martin Short would still be in it. <laughs> Okay, so has to make anyone it even worse. has anyone seen the Ray Bolts video for that song like The Lamb Ran Away? Remember what? that song? <laughs> no. It's about I mean, if you heard it you Should know. Should I not it. do a drilling song? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the lamb ran away. No, it's a um it's a Ray Bolts song that I saw the video for, which is a mini short film and they wow. have like people acting it out. And like, Ray, do we have a copy? Because I want to put that on Dual Like Roman. I, I I'm sure we can track one down. And if I remember correctly, like Ray Bolts is there, but like they don't see him there. But he's like walking by singing. You ever seen a video like that where like yeah. stuff is going yeah. on and the and the band is just there, like invisible, you know? But it's very very dramatic. Why did you mention this? Oh, just because I that is already kind of a short film that I thought was done well. When I thought of Butterfly Kisses, I was like, is that song Butterfly Kisses? But no, it's not. <laughs> that's, that's, a t- that's Bob Carlyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he could be the dad. <laughs> Ray Bolts could be the dad? <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. If Ray Bolts was your dad? <laughs> he was a kindly mustachioed and permed gent. <laughs> yeah, he had, Ray Bolts is the only guy that I've ever seen with a permed mullet. It is if he's the only guy you've seen with a permed mullet, <laughs> then you have led a charmed life. I had never, I never heard of Ray Bolts until I was in college, and I saw that he was coming to perform at my school, and uh, he was staying mm-hmm. at the Maybe Center. And I never heard of him. I was like, Ray Bolts. What an awesome name. And I thought if I <laughs> had a Ray striper. Bolts. Yeah, Bolts. And if I had a kid, his middle name would be Lightning. So it'd be like, Ray Lightning Bolts. I wish anybody, like any of our listeners who have some sort of claim to fame would email us. That would be cool. I would like to know if anybody out there is either famous or connected right. to why somebody famous. Or if at any why time don't we you've managed that for Ray Bolts. question of the week. If for you're uh, week. riding the coattails. Or what, what's your claim to fame? 
Ooh, you know? I like yeah, that. That's next week. I guess well that'll do it for this week's edition of the Old Relevant Podcast. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back. Um, you want to share any anything about your African trip with the listeners? Uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely fantastic. Um, is it true you contracted malaria? Uh, yes, it is actually. Can uh, we get that from you? How come you're not dead? Um, actually, in Africa, in many places, malaria medicine is over the counter. Like Tylenol, really? It so it's really like having is. the flu. Um, that's what it feels like. I mean, if you let it progress, it gets much, much worse, I guess. But for me, it was like having the flu. Um, it wasn't <laughs> pleasant, but it wasn't as bad as advertised. Wow. Um, and then the other cool thing is they have driver ants there. These trail ants that can pick apart a cow carcass in like thirty seconds or something. No. Yeah, and though I mean, they will literally kill people. And we had a little infestation in one of the bathrooms of driver ants. And uh, so a friend of mine and I, we, uh, we got his Old Spice body spray <laughs> and a lighter. Oh, and my we, God. we torched them. And the great thing is afterwards, there's a pleasing aroma. Old Spice. Burnt ant and Old Spice. <laughs> and uh, we left just enough alive to go back and warn the others. So. <laughs> no more ants for us, let me so, tell you. So I take it it was a successful two weeks. It certainly was. Ministry happened. Yeah. <laughs> Not to the ants. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry we Actually, burnt down about, your building. About a week and a half of the trip was extermination. <laughs> <laughs> the other half was rebuilding the buildings that burned down from there. Whilst we were exterminating. Flamethrowers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we made light of uh, the trip. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, really, what happened? I mean, you went to Sierra Leone. Um, yeah. It's, uh, Did you see Paul Wall? Oh, you didn't hear the <laughs> I don't know podcast while you're gone. <laughs> Catch up on the podcast. Yeah. Things happen while you're gone. You got to keep up. See, I I labor under the delusion that life screeches to a halt while I'm gone. <laughs> um, in, in, all serious, in some respects, it did. In, in all seriousness, you are do, uh, doing a little write-up for us about your experience I am. on the trip. I am. Um, I'm going to be writing about someone I met there that's just incredibly amazing and doing a lot to change the community, so... Um, I'm excited about writing it and I hope everyone's excited about reading it. So, Well, good. Well, on that note, uh, that will do it for this week's edition of The Relevant Podcast. Um, much thanks to David Brog for uh, talking to us about the conflict in the Middle East. If you'd like to check out his book, it's called Standing with Israel on Frontline Books and I'm sure you can get it at Amazon.com. So I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Kara Davis. I'm Jesse Carey. And I'm Adam Smith. We'll see you next week.